0: You're listening to Docs Outside the Box, episode 54, with Dr. Camille Hammond, CEO of the Tanina Q. Cade Foundation.
1: Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting-edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real-life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko.
0: This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Protect yourself against life setbacks with Set for Life Insurance. Set for Life Insurance gets you disability and life insurance at a reduced cost with their exclusive discounts. Now that's why I use them. Visit www.setforlifeinsurance.com and tell them Dr. Darko sent you. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Need Darko. Thank you. Thank you again for coming back for another episode of Docs Outside the Box promise that this one is going to be a really good one. So on this episode, before we get into our guest, I want to read off some statistics that I think will be really shocking. So check this out. 7.4 million women between the ages of 15 and 44 have used infertility services in the United States. That's literally 12% of the population. Here's another one. 40% of infertility cases can be traced back to the male partner. Here's another one. Only 30% of IVF cycles produce a live birth. And the average cost of a single cycle of IVF in the United States is $12,000. That's actually lower than what I thought it would be. And those are some very sobering statistics. They really bring light to the whole prevalence of infertility in the United States. It's a problem that even affected me. It affected my wife and I earlier in our marriage. We went through three rounds of unsuccessful IVF treatments. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be really open and honest with you. It was a lot of dough. And thank goodness for locums. Thank goodness for the ability to do extra work outside of what I normally do. And without that, I mean, literally, we would have had to take out loans, we would have had to use credit cards. And because of that, because we were able to do locums, you know, in essence, we were able to be a financial means to take care of this situation without having too much of a financial burden put on us. But for the majority of the United States, the majority of couples within the United States who are having this situation, that's not the case, right? Treatment oftentimes can be really cost prohibitive. Lack of knowledge leads to people not seeking treatment. And listen, we're not even talking about the stigma That people have with being infertile or having or suffering through infertility. So my next guest is Dr. Camille Hammond, and she formed the Tanina QK Foundation. And family by family, baby by baby, literally, she is doing her best to provide support, as well as financial assistance to help infertile needy families overcome infertility so the cade foundation to date has provided over 70 families with financial support for both adoption as well as fertility treatment nationwide now you may be wondering like what's up with the name like why is it named tanina q cade foundation when you know the ceo is dr camille hammond well organization is named after dr camille hammond's mother tanina cade who guess what Seriously, at the age of 55, and at the time she was the oldest person to do this, at the age of 55, she delivered triplets for Camille and her husband, who themselves at the time were suffering through years of infertility. So this is literally a a podcast that is jam-packed with tons of like really good information. So on this episode, you're going to learn the prevalence of infertility. You're going to learn about the stigma that women feel with infertility. And you're going to learn about her quote-unquote outside-the-box story of overcoming infertility, learn about how pursuing her passion allows her to give back, and of course, as with all my other guests, you're going to learn how she answers hashtag I'm not just the doc. Yo, on the real, this episode should have came out months ago, but because of technical difficulties and just getting caught up with so many different things, it took a while before this episode has come out. But you know what? In perfect action, this episode is out. I want you all to please share this episode with someone who you know is going through this process, someone who's going through this struggle. Please share it through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. This is something that we need to shed more light onto. So without further ado, I present Dr. Camille Hammond welcome back to another episode of docs outside the box i am really excited to bring to you my next guest my next guest is dr camille hammond she is ceo of the cade foundation it's a foundation that was started in 2005 that has provided support to families um, that have issues with infertility the actual full name of the foundation is actually the tanina q cade foundation which is named after dr hammond's mother tanina cade who delivered triplets for their family uh back in 2000 am i correct 2004 yes back in 2004 so before we get too much into the interview dr hammond welcome to the show
1: thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be a part of this and i'm looking forward to sharing about my experience and hopefully encouraging a few people to step outside of the box
0: oh yeah Uh, oh yeah i'm real excited to have you on the show your story is a compelling you literally are a national celebrity. <laughs> I <don't know laughs> um, about that. Well, I mean, you've been in Jet Magazine, The View, uh, you've been in ABC. I mean, you've been in so many different uh, news outlets, um, but I, I, I really am excited to have you on the show. I want to learn more about the foundation. The audience wants to learn more about the foundation and how, like you said, you are stepping outside the box. So before we get started, um, get too far in, in depth with things. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, what medical school you went to, and so forth?
1: Absolutely. So I um, got to give credit to my undergraduate as well. I'm a proud Spider, University of Richmond Spider. Um, and then I went to the University of Maryland School of Medicine for medical school,
0: okay. uh, Johns
1: Hopkins for my residency and my uh, master's in public health, Okay. and my um, my... Fellowship was in cancer survivorship at the National Cancer Institute. Hmm, okay. And before um, leaving, I guess, a, a clinical career, I was a program director at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and, and I worked in cancer survivorship.
0: Can you explain, uh, I haven't heard that before, but just for the rest of our audience, can you explain exactly what a fellowship in cancer survivorship, what uh, a practice physician in cancer survivorship actually does?
1: So my work was more research based, um, looking at outcomes and, and I've always had an interest in fertility because of my own personal struggle with fertility. So, um, looking at fertility related outcomes in people that struggle with different types of cancer, whether they were childhood survivors or looking at outcomes for people who, who struggled with cancer as children, um, as well as people who, uh, Struggle with different types of cancer as adults.
0: Wow. So so you actually were doing research with fertility, but in cancer patients.
1: Exactly.
0: And it just so happened that that kind of led you down the path of you having your own issues with fertility.
1: Well, you know, it it was the opposite way. So I was diagnosed with endometriosis the first week of college. I was rushed to the hospital uh, with um, heavy bleeding and they ended up doing a, a laparoscopy and um, long story short, was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis as a freshman in college. Mm. And so I always had an interest in fertility because I was told from that point on, you know, as soon as you meet Mr. Right and you're ready, you don't need to put off, you don't need to delay childbearing because it may be hard for you to get pregnant because you have this endometriosis. So, um, you know, that was... A, uh, the fertility thread ran throughout my, um, I would say academic career. I, mm-hmm. I always kind of had an interest in that.
0: Okay. Okay. And you also mentioned that you've, you've, you've alluded to that you've stepped away from clinical medicine. So now you are a hundred percent full-time running the Cade Foundation.
1: Absolutely. So, um, in 2007, Um, I was still working at the School of Medicine. My husband is an orthopedic surgeon. And we had kind of gone back to our life, our pre-baby life, even though uh, we spent years and years, um, you know, waiting for, praying for, working towards having these babies. But uh, we were still in training and, and fresh out of training. And so we were putting in those heavy hours, those long hours. And tell one day I came it. home and my one of my kids, I think it was one of my sons uh, called my nanny Mommy. and
0: mm, are you serious?
1: <laughs> well, that was really bad because you know kids don't lie. They tell you what they think. Uh, right. Mommy is the one who kisses the boo-boos who's there when they cry, not the chick who shows up after they're put down for bed um, and is missing when they wake up in the morning. So
0: who's paying for stuff though? <laughs>
1: Yeah, you can, but you know, there's, there's a cost. Um, Mm -hmm. and you've got to be willing to, you got to look at what, how much is it worth? So, um, anyway, he called my nanny mommy and she responded. She said, yes. And I just thought, okay, something is just wrong here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and from that moment I started to plan with my husband about leaving the clinical side of my, um, career because you know we we just went through too much to become parents to have our kids lost because neither of us were present they're not a trophy it wasn't like we we went through all that just to say that we had kids um we wanted to to be the one that was so into their lives and to be able to speak truth to them and not to have this other woman who you know there's nothing wrong with her but those were not her kids right um And so I stepped away from my um, medical, uh, my clinical career and um, started running the foundation full time. And the blessing was within, I would say, about two months of me stepping away, my husband got um, an increase in his pay. And it was the exact amount that I had left behind uh, when I, you know, when I came home. But I really came home and then uh, shortly thereafter Uh, started running the foundation full-time from my home.
0: So when one door closes, another one opened up. Did you, did did you, during that time when you were starting to think about stepping away from practicing medicine, did you have any other options as to what you wanted to do? Or you knew you were going to take time off, spend more time with your family and then also run the foundation? Or did you have any other ideas in mind?
1: When I first left all my, all my, um, thoughts were focused on getting home so that I could be an engaged parent and not gone before they really woke up and coming home when they were already so tired that there was no meaningful interaction. I wanted to be mommy, not just that lady who pays for stuff. Um, And so it was after I got home and I started thinking, okay, what else am I? Like, I love being mommy, but I also have all of this training, these experiences um, that I, I think, you know, can be useful and I can continue to serve perhaps in a different way. Um, and so that's when I thought, okay, I can, you know, I Jason and I started this nonprofit a couple years ago. It was very, very part-time. It was not really intended to be something that we continue to pour into year after year. We, we wanted to raise $10,000 to help one family. And then, you know, we feel like, okay, we have paid it forward. We were blessed and we were a blessing. And then, and now we're square. But we already had this. The framework was there. And I thought, well, perhaps I can use some of the skills and um, some of the passion that I have for this field and grow this into something um of course, with God's uh, blessing, um, that that can be more of a resource in the in the infertile
0: community. You haven't looked back since, because now I'm looking at your website. Your organization has grown tremendously. Board of directors. Um, I'm looking at the numerous uh, couples and families that you've you've helped um, through this process of infertility. That's really amazing.
1: We've been blessed, and it, it really has been an, a great. For me, I love what I do, so I would do this even if I didn't get paid, um, and and I don't really get paid a lot, so you know that's not too much of a stretch. But I still love what I do, and I think that if you can find something that you would do even if you didn't get paid doing it, then that's the area you need to um, you need to pursue because the money will come. You know, like I share with you, even though I stepped away from. Um, a career where I was making doctor, academic doctor money, um, as soon as I left, the money still came, you know um, it was just, you know in my husband's paycheck instead of coming to me personally so our household actually didn't suffer at all um, we grew as a household after I left and I, I feel like in some ways that's probably because I was walking more in my purpose, what I should have been doing um, in the first place
0: Hmm. That's a really great. I appreciate you sharing that, actually. So do you feel like this is your calling? Do you feel like this is your passion?
1: I absolutely feel like this is my passion. Um, I have a love for our families that struggle with infertility. I remember how I felt all those years.
0: Where... Can, you, can you tell us more about that? Is, is, is that OK to ask if you can give absolutely. us more, of a, more details about your, your, your struggles with this situation?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. um, You know, my husband and I got married. We met the first week of medical school, and it was, you know, fairy tale, love at first sight. And three years later, we got married and started trying to get pregnant immediately because I had been diagnosed with endometriosis as um, a first year college student. And I remember so many times going into places, hearing friends and family members complain. You know, they were taking birth control pills. Um, I had some family members that were super fertile and they kept on popping out babies and um, really were, were not pleased with that. They, did not, they didn't want to continue to have babies. But, um, you know, people would make these jokes. Um, and, and they were funny if you didn't struggle with infertility. They were right. really hurtful. If you were the one who was doing everything possible, everything in your power um, to become a mommy and to, to grow your family. And that wasn't um, that wasn't happening.
0: Like so a silent struggle almost.
1: I, oh, we felt very alone. I, I mean, I I remember going and fake laughing at some of these comments because I didn't want people to know and I didn't want to stand out. And then like excusing myself to cry. I did that many times. I didn't know any black people um, or even any brown people, frankly. I didn't know any. I didn't know and I didn't know of any people who looked like me who struggled with infertility. Um, there was this myth. I think it came out. Uh, it, it was popularized in the early 90s, late 80s, that black people were super fertile. You know, you, you had these quote unquote welfare moms on tv that had you know 10 kids and you know that the narrative was all black women are super fertile like these women and the narrative was a lie first of all um infertility affects about 10 percent of all groups it doesn't discriminate but i didn't because i didn't know anybody who admitted that they struggled with infertility you know i really did think it was my issue like Somehow there was something wrong with me personally.
0: Obviously you went through, um, well, actually, how about this? How did you come to terms with knowing that you were going to need assistance? How did that go?
1: Well, you know, I was, my husband and I were in the medical field. And so we at least had some baseline of knowledge about infertility being a medical condition. Number one. Um, Not a moral issue because, you know, there are some communities, um, some communities of color, many communities of color um, that believe somehow that when you have infertility, you've done something to to cause yourself to be infertile, Um, whether it's something moral that you've done, kind of like a scarlet letter, God is punishing you, Uh, whether you've done something. Um, sexual, and you know you kind of earn this by being uh, promiscuous um or or something like that um, and, and we didn't we don't do that to other medical conditions we don't do that to diabetes or high blood pressure or uh, many other conditions that are very prevalent, but somehow we did that but because my husband and I were both physicians, we knew well it is medical, so we didn't have that bias, but we still had the you know, we don't know anybody, and we don't have family who's acknowledged that they struggle with infertility. Um, but just kind of going off of our desire to be parents, and and at one point it was just all consuming. It was, you know, when I'm in the grocery store, if I see another pregnant woman at the uh, the counter, I'm going to scream. Like I'm avoiding family functions. I'm not going around my friends. Um, you know, who are having kids. And it was just something that, that was very important to me and to uh, my husband at that time. And so we just decided we didn't care. We, we wanted to pursue this and we wanted to have um, a child of our own.
0: So when you, when you went to, so you obviously you did multiple rounds of IVF. Um, They were unsuccessful. What happened next?
1: Um, so after our sixth round that went to transfer and there were actually eight rounds, there was just six that we had enough eggs, um, where we could, um, they could six be, rounds. Yeah. So wow, wow. six okay. that went to transfer. There were two that I didn't have enough, um, mature eggs where they even went to transfer because, um, that, you know, you gotta remember this is, this is like 15 years ago, when we started 15, 16 years ago, when we started, um, and the, you know, they wouldn't even take you to transfer. If you didn't have a good number of fertilized eggs, a good number of embryos that, you know, looked like they would implant, they wouldn't just take you uh, to transfer. They would say, okay, you know, let's do another cycle. Um, things are different now because, you know, they're only recommending that you put one back one, um, embryo back now, or or at least many clinics are, but this was a, this was a a completely different age in the fertility world, um, where I was going through treatment. So I had six cycles that went to the transfer stage. And after the last one, our doctor, who I think was really cared about us, he knew that we were broke. Um, we were young physicians, but we, you know, we didn't have any money. And we had run out of insurance, and he said, this is, uh, unfortunately, I think you guys need to to go in a different direction. Um, he didn't say he thought that we wouldn't be great parents, but he did say, I know you don't have any more money to keep mm-hmm. doing this. And, you know, if you continue doing the same thing, um, in all likelihood, you're going to have the same result, i.e., if you continue having IVF, um, you know, it's it's not likely that you're going to get pregnant. And what we found out later was I have endo endometri- I had endometriosis and adenomyosis. So the lining of my uterus was completely eaten up anyway, which is why I had a hard time um, with tr- um, the baby. You know, growing roots, uh, mm-hmm. um, implanting,
0: implantation. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: exactly. So um, anyway, he he suggested that we consider adoption or a gestational carrier. And so, you know, we we hadn't really shared with most people that we had infertility, um, but we had talked with my parents and with my husband's parents about it. And
0: my mom and dad,
1: after that um, doctor's appointment, of course, we were devastated. And I shared with my mom and dad, you know, this is what the doctor says. He says, we probably shouldn't do it again we need to think about, um, doing something different. And my dad said, well, I saw this program on 60 minutes back when you were 18 about this woman who carried her daughter's baby because the daughter wasn't able to get pregnant. You think that's something your mom could do? And, you know, my mom was really excited about that. Of course I was, my husband and I were young doctors and we didn't know everything. And we just kind of thanked them and said, no, we're good. Um, but Thankfully, my parents didn't give up. Um, they were extremely persistent, and they, you know, they really kind of kept coming back at us and saying, "Hey, we need to think about this. Let's let's look into this."
0: That's- I mean, that's amazing how like they were more pat. Well, they were more. They believed more in that because I could I I could see myself in your shoes also, like kind of just like, yeah whatever. Well, that would never work, you know, or just right. not really putting much credence to what they're saying. But it's amazing that they kind of felt so strongly about that
1: oh, they were definitely more committed at the beginning than we were. Um, You know, my my mom was 54 years old at the time. She was postmenopausal. And, you know, I didn't know if it was possible, but I certainly didn't want to do anything that would potentially harm her. Um, And so, you know, but after a while of them just kind of, continuing to bring it up and let's let's pray about it you know let's let's talk about it we decided to at least see if it was possible and her doctors said that first of all it was possible um but they could not guarantee anything because of her age um they didn't think it would kill her but you know they really they really could not guarantee anything um and we we move forward. Of course, my mom and dad were fully committed. And so, you know, by this point we were committed and we walked forward in faith and she conceived my three babies. She was able to do something that I wasn't able to do, you know, at, at in my twenties. And she's at this point, 55 years old. So she delivered my babies at 32 weeks. They were all healthy uh, they were in the NICU for one of them was there for a couple of days and the other two were there for a few few days after that um, just to get the suck swallow coordinated. And um, we were just overwhelmed with gratitude both to my family, uh, my parents, the doctors, the nurses, everyone who had cried with us, prayed for us, supported us in any way. And, um, when we brought our babies home, my husband and I made a commitment to one another that we would, um, give back, you know, we, we felt like God had just given us this huge, um, blessing and we wanted to give one family that same blessing. So we wanted to give them $10,000 to help out with the cost of either fertility treatment or adoption.
0: That's amazing. yeah. yeah. And so that's
1: where Kate came from. It was named after my mother because we wanted to give symbolically what she had been a part of giving us, which was the gift of parenthood. But it has grown um, so much from that kind of whisper, that hope of a dream to give one family um, some financial support to. At this point, we've funded 70 families wow. with up to 10,000 each. We posted hundreds of education focused conferences just sharing, first of all, the good news that infertility doesn't mean you won't be a parent. Um, and um, the great news that there are many, many different ways to become a parent um, despite a diagnosis of infertility.
0: Where do you see the organization in about five, 10 years?
1: Well, my, my hope was always to support as many families as possible. And what I started to see um, repeatedly was people coming to Cade after years and years of undiagnosed infertility. So people would come to Cade at 36 years old. And when you talk to them and you'd say, okay, um, you know, do you have infertility? Well, and they would say, yes, we've been trying for about eight, eight to 10 months. Okay. Okay. So, you know, that is not the CDC's definition of infertility that, um, Well, I guess at 36 years old, that would be, but uh, the definition is really 12 months of not getting pregnant after 12 months of unprotected sex. Um, But then when you dig a little deeper and say, well, are you using contraception? Are you on the pill? Do you use condoms? You know, have you ever used anything? And, And then the question is, no, you know, we've been together for 10 years and we really never had to use anything then you realize people are thinking that their intention was known by their ovaries. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) my my ovaries, know I'm not ready to become a mom. So they're just not working. No, honey, you've struggled with 10 years of infertility. And so um, then you think, you know, let's, let's dig into dig a little deeper into that. Why is it that nobody has asked you, if you are trying to get pregnant and also are you doing anything to prevent pregnancy in this 10 year period? Um, because if somebody had asked that question, perhaps, you know, there may have been something very basic that could have been done earlier to, to help you either understand what's going on or uh, to conceive. Um, and so, while well, I want to continue our patient-focused, our family-focused Pathway to Parenthood um, conferences. But the last two years, we've also held these provider-focused Pathway to Parenthood conferences. We've held them at Hopkins for two years. We held one at uh, University of Maryland School of Medicine last year, and we're holding another in February. Um, where we we work with these providers in training, these medical students, but mostly residents, fellows. um, And we put infertility on their radar so that when they're doing an P, they don't miss an opportunity to to ask about um, people's, um, you know, whether they're using contraception and their intentions, but also their behavior around fertility. So that so that they can intervene or refer for care earlier in, um, in the process. Um, you know, what what we also see is a lot of times, even though infertility does not discriminate, so it is it, it occurs with the same prevalence across all of these different communities. Uh, people who are um, disadvantaged for whatever reason, whether that be because they are, from a a, you know they're a black or brown person whether they're poor whether they live in an area that is geographically um, isolated these people even when you correct for some other factors like economics um, like education they still are not having the same outcomes as other groups And some of that is because there's this delay in either referral for care or whether it's referral by another doctor or self-referral. And so we want to make sure that the doctors are screening for and referring appropriately, um, but we also want to make sure that patients um, understand about infertility. We've done some work even on um, graduate campuses, graduate student campuses, letting people know about infertility so that they can, um, know and not be surprised, um, if they show up at 36, 37 and, you know, they don't get pregnant immediately, you need to know at 29, you know, your fertility Mm. is going to start to go down pretty quickly after about 32 years old. So, you know,
0: taking the covers off of something that people are kind of holding in secrecy, taking the taboo label off of it or at least making it not an issue when it becomes an issue.
1: Absolutely. It's just medical. Mm -hmm. And like any other disease, you know, or uh, you need to know what the causes are. You need to know kind of uh, what to anticipate and you need to know the different options for treatment.
0: I know that you do a lot of speaking and um, part of what you're doing obviously is assisting families with, with, um, financial support for infertility but also there's another part where you're actually educating the public on um infertility in in, in general and how we react to people who have infertility or just our general thoughts and processes about it so that it becomes more of a not so taboo subject can you talk about examples of um you having to educate people uh maybe even men (laughs) about this situation
1: absolutely we and we have done some work just with men um, we've done work just with men in the faith community. Um, I, and I recall doing one um, conference, the Black Family Conference at Hampton University, um, a few years ago, and I gave this presentation just for a very general audience about um, infertility. And at the end, this elderly African-American man who was, you know, dressed very well, um, stood up and and. I, I want to say gave a little critique. Um, he said something to the, something to the effect of, um, I don't think that I'm doing anything wrong. If I ask this question, when are you gonna start trying to get pregnant? You know, because mm, yeah. I don't have any, my intention is not wrong. And I said, well, you're ignorant. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> it is wrong. Your intention right. is irrelevant. And if you continue to ask this question, cause you were ignorant. Now you don't have that excuse. I've already told you it's hurtful. Um, And so you're just being malicious. Um, So don't do that. And and I think I embarrassed him a little bit and the intention was not to embarrass him, but it was to drive home the point to everyone who sat in that packed out uh, room. This is just simply not something that you can do. And even if it's not offensive to you, It's hurtful, potentially hurtful to that family that's struggling. So just don't do it.
0: And that's, you know, I I definitely see that as I'm getting older, as I'm trying to start a family, people ask that question all the time. And I can imagine it has to be a very hurtful thing. You know, I'm a I'm a guy, so obviously it doesn't hit me as hard. But to a woman, particularly, um, you know, women who are more professional, who are professional and are thinking about conceiving or or having children at later stages of their of their life this is something that is a constant issue probably in the back of their minds probably
1: Well it's an issue for men, women and men. I mean there are many men who want to see that family hairline, you know, they want to see that that Harris hairline or they want to see those eyes or that swirl that you know they have and daddy has and pop pop has and everybody and all the men in that family line have had that um, they want to pass those things along and see that next generation. So um, I, I think that having families is something that you know, most people want to do. Maybe men and women express that want in different ways. But I have certainly seen that um, it's an issue for both men and women. And I will add, for anyone listening that may not be aware, a third of the infertile cases um, are male factor.
0: Okay, so it's not just. I appreciate you qualifying it, that. Thank you for clarifying that.
1: Uh, one third are female factor, so male and female factor uh, the same percentage of cases, and then one third are unknown factor. And that doesn't mean that it's not caused by something. That means that our technology is not advanced enough where we understand what it is. Um, but things are moving very quickly, and so something. This diagnosed as unknown factor right now. Five years ago, we may know that, you know, it's this hormone or it's this protein that is missing, and that's what's causing um, this family to to deal with infertility.
0: Now, what was it like um, after your mother gave birth to your children? What was that like being in the national spotlight? Because I've, I've, I did a little bit of some email or, excuse me, some Internet stalking and saw that you were in Jet Magazine and um, your story was in Jet Magazine and multiple stories, obviously, in the Richmond area and ash, obviously national media outlets also. What was that like?
1: Well, you know, my husband and I were very deliberate in our decision to go public with our story um, because we felt that, number one, people needed to see a face. A a regular family um, that had infertility so that they could understand they weren't alone in this. Because, you you know, if if a disease doesn't have a face, then you put your own face there and you feel like, well, there's something there is something inherently wrong with me. But if you see other people that you can identify with and they and you think they look normal, then you may say, well, they look normal. And I got the same thing that, that they have. So maybe maybe they're you know, maybe I'm not inherently broken um right, right. but we went forward and we also didn't want anybody else telling our story and making things up, you know, and and changing the narrative from um our truth. So, we told our story. Um but it did get to be a little overwhelming um at times. You know, I did have media outlets calling. They were going through our employers. Um when our kids were born, we were still residents at Hopkins and um You know, there were a couple of media outlets that actually went through like the paging system at Hopkins to try. Are you serious? Yeah, it was kind of like, okay, this is what um, real celebrities have to deal with full time. I quit. So um, after we we did that initial day or two of interviews, we actually didn't do any more interviews for uh, two years um, and everything that was published or that was produced was cannibalizing, you know, that two days of coverage, um, that two days of really day and a half of interviews. Um, but then we did one with Essence magazine um, because I thought it was really important in communities of color that right, um, yeah. other women of color understood that infertility is a universal um you know, it's, it's a universal, it, it's does not discriminate based on any factor and, and that it wasn't just wealthy white women who struggle with infertility. Um, and then we went on, you know, over the past couple of years to do interviews with a few select um, outlets that I felt would be able to help us tell our story in ways that were decent and respectful. Um, but I'm really excited that over these past couple of years, it's not the K Foundation has grown from just Jason and Camille's story of when Tanina uh, carried their triplets to Kara and Troy's story or Amanda and Jeffrey's story. You know, it's become all of these families who are connected with us, um, you know, by this threat of infertility, but who have overcome and who are in their community. Serving and giving back and, and encouraging so that, and that's been beautiful to see um, see it go and, and really blossom into all of our stories.
0: You know I'm going through your blog right now on your website and obviously it's it's very diverse I mean there are people or women who are writing from various walks of life so it really does underscore what you're saying that uh, infertility really uh, doesn't discriminate.
1: It certainly does. And if you look at the group of families uh, this year, we just gave out eight grants in early um, November. You know, one of the families was from Afghanistan. Um, You know, uh, we had Muslim, we have Christian, we have black. One was from the uh, one of our African-American families was from Guam. Um, You know, we've got people from Pennsylvania. They're rural. They're urban. They're everything, and that is what infertility is, you know, and that is what the community of overcomers is as well. We are everyone.
0: Wow. Now, we're, we're getting towards the end of our conversation, our, in, our interview, so I just want to ask you some quick, fast questions. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, the first question is, what's one thing you want listeners to get from this podcast?
1: That you can pursue your passion and still have a very fulfilling, professional career, And even if you're doing something where you may not make as much money, um, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you know, the resources will will come available. It it will happen. You know, just you need to be faithful about your decision making process and go where God tells you.
0: Love it. This is a tough one. What's one thing that you're proud of that nobody else knows about? Hmm. (laughs) Stumped you.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm proud that I get to, to walk my, um, purpose every day. Mm -hmm. And, and people may think that I, you know, I'm just doing this because it's something to do, but I really do care about this and I have passion for this and I would do it even if I didn't make a dime. I would do this even if I had to pay to do it.
0: Love it. Appreciate the honesty on that answer. Knowing what you know now, Doctor Camille Hammond, what advice would you have given yourself? Let's say you got a chance to meet your your pre-self as a pre-med or even as a as a medical student, what advice would you have given yourself back then? Knowing what you know now,
1: I would just say, keep going, girl. You're doing the right thing. Um, you know, I needed all of those experiences and that training to prepare me for what I do right now. I may not see patients in a clinical setting, but I still use those skills. Um, those skills that you develop, those are and that knowledge, no one can take that away from you. And, and the beauty of knowledge is it can be applied in any number of settings. That ability to think critically, to trust and verify, um, you know, I think that those are those are things that are very important. And I will say. I think it would be difficult for me to do the work that I'm doing right now and and receive the level of acceptance and support from the physician community um, as well as the larger community if I weren't Dr. Camille.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So that MD has made a huge difference.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want you to finish this sentence. It's a sentence that I present slash ask to all of my guests it's a statement that says, I'm not just a doc, I'm a and I asked him to finish it. Some of my guests have said World Traveler, some of my guests have said Doctor some of my guests have said so many different things. So um, Doctor Hammond, Dr. Camille Hammond, I present to you I'm not just a doc, I'm a Servant. Dr. Hammond, I just want to say thank you very much for being on the show. I just want to take a short moment just to acknowledge you for what you're doing. And I think sometimes there are times when I acknowledge all of my guests, but I think sometimes there are times when acknowledging doesn't even do the proper service because I think it's so obvious what you're doing is for the greater good of the community. The majority of my guests on the show have been um, physicians who are doing amazing great things, stepping outside the box to assist other physicians to kind of find and get the careers that they always wanted. Um, but you, you're you a little bit different. You are doing something that's helping the greater public, the greater good. Um, and ultimately, you're providing hope to families that um, didn't think hope existed in that area. So I wanted to acknowledge you and your husband acknowledge you, your husband, and your entire family, including your mother, for the amazing thing that you are doing, what you provide, the hope that you're um, providing to families. And I just wanted to say congratulations on what you're doing. I hope you guys continue what you're doing. And I want to acknowledge you all for the greater good that you're all doing. Thank you for being on the show. Um, We've got to do it again.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a real, real great opportunity. And Congratulations on uh, pursuing your passion and helping other people understand that it's possible to step outside of the box and fly.
0: Once again, that was a really great interview. Definitely bringing light to something that we don't talk about too often. If you want to learn more about Dr. Camille Hammond, as well as the organization, the Cade Foundation, please go to the website www.cadefoundation.org. Once again, that's spelled C A D E foundation.org looking forward to your comments make sure you share and make sure you let me know what's going on in the docs outside the box facebook group called docs outside the box nation you can find more about that on the website docsotb.com. and i'm going to catch you guys on the next one just remember one thing though we only got one life let's make a count and live outside the box peace